Mind Vine, a mental health podcast for everyone. Since our first episode in 2016, we have been sharing stories of recovery, engaging with experts, and tackling the stigma associated with mental illness. The Mind Vine podcast is produced by Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences and is available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the Mind Vine podcast. My name is Daryl Mathers and I'm your host today. And we have two very special guests uh, talking about youth mental health and something that's really close to, to their hearts and the work they do to support uh, youth mental health in our community and on Ontario Shores. Pleased to welcome uh, Debbie and Mel Clinch. Thank you both for, for being here today. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. We're, we're here to talk about your son, Shane, and uh, there's lots... There's lots to get into, but maybe we could just start by telling us about Shane and what type of person he was. Uh, Shane, uh, he was very outgoing when he was younger. He loved uh, loved hockey and his music, played piano, guitar. And when he got into high school, he started doing uh, playing the trombone and the steel kettle band on the, did you catch it, the Caribbean steel drums, drums yeah. steel drums, yeah. Yeah, he was, um, he's really, he was a funny kid. He um, was always like a jokester. He always had a funny grin. Um, he liked um, oh, his, bikes, his bikes and skating, for sure, for hockey. Um, loved going camping. We always went camping as a family, and we had another family we had met, actually, when I was pregnant, and Christine was pregnant with our first. Um, so we kind of met in prenatal classes and we've been friends ever since and they had two girls and a boy and we had two girls and a boy and, and the ages matched so um, we spent a lot of summers up camping and they were going exploring always coming back with lizards fish <laughs> frogs snakes it's like get the snakes out of here mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so quite outdoorsy very adventurous um, he did uh, beavers and scouts um, the air cadets um, music was big in his life. He, you know, he was even from like age two when the other girls were, when the two girls were taking piano, he was going, look at mommy, I'm pianoing, I'm pianoing. I said, okay, that's good. <laughs> um, except when I got him into piano, he didn't want to practice, but, uh, yeah, so he was just a very, very, um, easygoing, um, very loving, uh, very empathetic, um, type of person that you could, I think he could feel the emotions in the room. Yeah. So I think that, like some people say, he was an empath. Um, so he was picking up others' emotions and, and carrying that with him. So I think that had a big part of, um, you know, his, his years later on. Um, anxiety was a big part um, of his life. Um, he was bullied a lot at school. Um, so I think that contributed to a lot of things as well. And um, he was very close, like the three of them. We had two girls and a boy, so they were very close together. They always did lots of things together. Shannon, our middle one, and him did skiing and smoke and boarding. Um, and we always did, up, was it Blue Mountain or what was it called? Well, you usually went to Dagmar. Dagmar. But then we went up to Blue Mountain a few times. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, anything, anything to do with outdoors and sports and adventure. He did whitewater rafting, rafting. We did, you know, just lots of things together. So when you talk about Shane and his mental health journey, you kind of alluded to, you know, the anxiety and bullying. But what, at what point in his life um, did you start to notice that 
um, he might be struggling with some mental health issues. He was really young, um, seven or eight years of age. I noticed there was something going on. Um, went to the family doctor. Um, he was having a lot of stomach issues, so he was tested at Sick Kids for Crohn's and colitis, and um, they were looking at cardiac because he's always complaining of chest pains. Um, so very, very young. Um, I said there was you know, something going on, so the family doctor referred him to a clinic in Scarborough um, where they, we didn't even know what it was all about. It was called the, the Brave Bears. Um, they never told, <laughs> it was a group. Um, so he was taking part in this group and then the parents were taking part in the group, but no one told us he had anxiety. Um, it wasn't until we got to the shores that they said, oh, you know, he has anxiety and we go, no. <laughs> so it was from like seven or eight years of age until he was 16. That all that time we were dealing with what we thought was something medical and it turned out it was all mental health. So you, you talk about him uh, receiving care at Ontario Shores. Um, you know, what was going on in his life um, at that point in terms of his, his journey with mental health that led him you know, to be in our care? So what happened was um, he stopped going to school. Um, he refused to go to school. And I said, what's going on at school? And he said, I just can't go. Um, so I was forcing him to go because <laughs> I didn't know mental health was a, an issue at that point. Um, I knew something was up, but I didn't know exactly what that was. Um, it wasn't until um, 2013 Christmas Eve that he was threatening and attempting suicide, and that's how he got into the shores. So um, I had phoned around to a few places. The VP at his um, high school said, have you contacted Ontario Shores? And I go, I don't even know what that is. So she was the one who kind of gave me the, all the information. I made, went to the doctor and said, sign this and got the referral in and then he got into the shores, so. You think back to that time um, as a parent and your son at that point is just talking about suicide. Um, what's that experience like? Um, and, you know, I, just being a parent myself, I just think about how helpless a feeling that, you know, must have been, but um, there must have been so much going on in your life at that point. Like, you know, what was that, what was that time like? Um, intense, um, help, not so much helplessness, but at the point, like, what can I do? I kind of jumped into the mama bear. Okay, what, what do we need to do? What do we have to get done? You know, we can fix this. Um, kind of jumping into that fix-it mode, um, trying to figure out where to go um, was a huge problem um, way back then. Um, mental health isn't, wasn't talked about as much as it is now. Resources were few and far between. Who do you contact? Where do you go? I think were the biggest questions. So it was more, not so much helplessness, it's more like you're floundering. Like you're, you feel like you're in the middle of the ocean, just kind of keeping your head above the water. Um, and at the same time, you're thinking at any moment, this could become a reality where he, where he isn't with us anymore. So when he was in care, and maybe you can talk about that experience and um Maybe, you know, obviously, I know he was just discharged at one point, but um, maybe walk us through, you know, as hard as it is to, um, you know, the, the process of the steps that ultimately led to losing him. Okay. Um, so did you want to jump in? You good? No, you're doing well. <laughs> <laughs> he, he doesn't want to cry. <laughs> um, so what happened was, so after his suicide attempt, he was in a day program at the same center in Scarborough where he was. Um, 
the psychiatrist there said, you know, they had dropped the ball when he was younger. Um, they had promised, so he did was doing the day program, and then they had promised that he would get a social worker and he would be receiving weekly therapy. We had waited the whole summer and nothing happened. I kept calling. Um, a friend of ours had her son there, so she gave me the name of his social worker. So I called up and I said, okay. Psychiatrist said he's supposed to be getting a social worker. How can you help us? So nothing was going on, and then that's when the VP said and suggested Ontario Shores. So we had the waiting period. Um, so while we were going through all of that, I was still reaching out and phoning and Googling and figuring out where can we go. Um, at that point, the navigation clinic wasn't up and running at Sunnybrook, which um, I think it started in 2014, the year he suicided. Um, so just families trying to find resources at that particular time was difficult. Once we got into Ontario Shores, it was like, okay, we've got hope, you know, we've got this, we've got an answer, um, he's in care, and it seemed like all of the tribulations and trials coming up to that point was like, phew, I can breathe the sigh of relief. So I felt like a little bit of a burden coming off. Um, so then the outpatient, he was an outpatient uh, youth, outpatient adolescent, and they decided that um, due to some of the complexities that he would be best served in this as an inpatient. So he was admitted to inpatient adolescence, um, and he was there for three months, um, making great gains. Um, they had a program um, up at Henry Street. It was kind of reintegration for schooling. So closer to when they were starting to get ready to discharge him from inpatient back to outpatient, they um, were sending him up to the Henry Street. Um, then something happened there that we didn't know about it. Um, the doctor, psychiatrist um, in the adolescent program didn't know about it and wasn't aware. I found out again through another parent because we were taking the RAP program, uh, Wellness Recovery Action Plan. Um, so this other parent whose daughter was also in the Shores inpatient at the same time and her and Shane were quite close, very good, very good friends. They, they formed a good friendship. They had a pretty good group of kids in there. Um, so they would drop him off at Henry Street, and he would walk back to the shores. They would drop him off, he'd walk back to the shores. So I said to the doctor in the inpatient unit, I said, something's happened. Have you asked him what's happened? He goes, no. I said, so you, right now you're just blaming him. It's all behavioral. He's being noncompliant, and you're saying that he's being difficult. I said, something has happened. So then the daughter of the, the mom told her mom what happened and apparently one of the youth workers up at the school he was told if his anxiety was really really bad he could call to the shores call to the inpatient unit and someone would help him through the anxiety um, through the panic attack um, the person there told him that um, he wasn't going to have a phone call he wasn't allowed to make a phone call his anxiety got really, really bad, and she just kind of belittled him and told him that he was making wrong choices. Depression's a choice. You know, you better make better choices. So there was a, there was, there was no um, security net there or safety net. So he just refused to go, and that's what was happening at school. That we found out later that you know there was a lot of bullying going on. So that's why he didn't want to go to school. So, so I said to, I met with the doctor in the inpatient unit, and I said, Have you talked with him? He goes, No. So he said, okay, I'll talk with him. And then uh, that evening when we went out, we took Shane for dinner. Um, I said, did Dr. So-and-so talk to you? And he said, no, I didn't want to talk to him. I was so angry. 
he said, um, no one believes me and everyone's blaming me. And, you know, he says, besides, I was doing my laundry, which is, <laughs> which is huge. I said, oh, you remember, you're going to continue doing your laundry when you get home then. <laughs> um, so he was discharged from the inpatient unit to the outpatient unit. Um, there wasn't a real plan in place for school because he had refused the Henry, to go to the Henry Street. Um, and understandable if he wasn't mm. being accepted there. And there was a lot of... Um, I don't know what you're putting down, I guess is the word. Um, so I was quite upset with that. I found it out after the fact. Um, and uh, so I did write a letter. I don't know what happened um, to that person, but I was hoping that she would get some training in mental health mm. and dealing with youth. Um, so when he was on the inpatient unit, he was making really good gains. Um, he was could see some of his old self coming back, you know, starting to joke around again and, you know, coming out of his shell type of thing. And so then on the, on the outpatient side, um, we were told, you know, because he didn't accept that program, um, she didn't know what to do with him. So she basically threw up her hand and said, you know, I, I have nothing to offer you. And then in the next meeting, she said, well, we, no, that doesn't matter. You know, we'll get through it. Don't worry. And then when we met her again, it was like, well, where would you like to go? You're, you're, aged out of the, you're aged out of the adolescent program. And I went, pardon me? He's like 17, two months. So how is he aged out of the program? So she said, well, just finish up with so-and-so and, -so and um, let me know what your decision is, where you'd like him to go, and I'll make that referral. So that was that. So it was not what we expected on the outpatient side. It was just like things fell apart. So... What, my, meanwhile, while that was happening, he had met a girl at, in inpatient unit. He wanted to go to her school, so um, uh, it was a long haul to get him approved because he was going to the Catholic school in Ajax, Notre Dame. Um, they had social worker in place. They had psychologists. They had um, um, early childhood educator, and they had guidance, and they had the principal and the vice principal were all ready for him to come back there. Um, everything was in place, but they said, let's wait till second semester because it was, you know, just, there was only like one more month of the, the first semester. So then he said no, and then the social worker um, on the inpatient unit said, you know, let him start making decisions for himself. Let him feel like he's got some control. So me biting my teeth, and <laughs> as much as I was against um I went through all the things. I went to the superintendent of education. I went, had to go to the high school for the public school side. I had to get special permission for him to transfer from the Catholic to the public. Anyways, this took lots and lots of time. So he, he, we got him into the high school in South Ajax. Um, the, him and the girl broke up. So the same week that he was told, you know, he was aged out of the program, um, he broke up with the girl um, because she had very bad anxiety too and was readmitted back into the shores. Um, he went to school and the chemistry teacher, he wanted to take a full course load. He had missed two years of school. This was now grade 12. Instead of putting him back in grade 10, which is where he should have been, they put him in grade 12. So he had missed all grade 10, all grade 11, and now he's in, in grade 12. So he's in a full course load academic. And the chemistry teacher said, well, this is review. Are you guys stupid? Like, so it went... <coughs> right through them. They didn't have any of the resources set up in the public school. I had asked for an IEP. I had asked for um, a psychologist and a social worker and also someone who could 
you know, where he, a safe place where he could go if his anxiety got really bad. He was also, he also had major depression. That was the other diagnosis with psychosis. Um, so he kind of started slipping back into a real depressive, um, dark hole. Um, refused to go after one week of going to the high school there, refused to go. So that's when I knew something again had happened, something was up, but he wasn't talking. He just told me, I'm quitting school, I'm going to move out, and I'm getting a job. And I'm going, well, this is your home, we love you, you know, you'll always be welcomed here. Um, I don't want you to move out. I said, and where are you going to move? You don't have a job, you have no way of supporting yourself. I said, let's figure out what's going on. So that was... Um, so a week after, and then the, so the, that weekend, I had been speaking with the high school, and they agreed he could do one course at home, kind of online, and he could go in for math. And there was one teacher who was taking another student, again, who had anxiety, and they were going to do the resource room. So we were trying to figure out if he could take him on for math. And uh, so I said, Shane, I'm working on it, you know, hang tight. Um, through the weekend, he agreed that he was going to go back. So Sunday night, um, I said to him, okay, you, you know, got a shower, he got all cleaned up because he had <laughs> a couple of weeks of being very depressed. He wasn't doing anything for hygiene. Um, so he just, we had dinner and then, you know, he was doing some games and whatnot. And I said at midnight, I said, hey, it's time to turn off the TV, time to, you know, if you're going to go to school tomorrow, you know, you did promise, you know, you, you know, let's see how you make out in the morning and and it was that night that he suicided. So it was like, it was like, I don't know, like it was like, why? <laughs> so I think that's the, the major question that anybody who has to deal with someone who's suicided is the question, why? Yeah. What happened? What, what happened at that particular moment at that time that made him decide that there, there was no other answer? I know it's it's been a while, but I'm still you know uh, my condolences you know for your loss. It's uh, uh, as a parent, you know, it's one of the most uh, you, you hope unimaginable things that could, that could happen. Um, like, how did you how did you deal with with that um, with your own mental health? Right, you're dealing you know obviously um, you know losing Shane. You know that unfortunately his journey, you know, ended. Um, but you know your journey with mental health is probably is still going on yes. in terms of dealing with the loss. So, like in the aftermath, um, how did you both um, deal with, or how do you continue to deal with that loss? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> me myself, I shut down for two years, didn't do a thing. Until finally, Debbie gave me a bit of a kick in the ass one day and said, if I can't get back to work, go volunteer somewhere. So that's when I started volunteering at, at the Ability Center. And now I do a lot of volunteering with uh, different organizations for uh, for the golf uh, tournaments and things like that. And you, how did you, like, I know you're heavily involved in the hospital yeah. now. Um, this was, you know, eight years ago. Eight years um, ago. Um, like was, uh, what was the process like for you for um, trying to move forward as best you can? Yeah, so I think it's um, with the loss of suicide, it's it's the shock, um, the dismay. Um, so initially, it was again jump into okay, what needs to be done, um, making the funeral arrangements, and um, just needing to to do what had to be done. 
um, Mel did shut down um, two and a half, three years. I mean, he did start it with some volunteering, but it was more like after five years that he started coming around. Um, so we still had two girls. We had a house, a mortgage. So um, it was, it was put, okay, I couldn't process the grief. I couldn't process the loss. It was like, okay, let's just put it on the back burner and it's just do what you have to get done to kind of survive. So, so it was more me just kind of jumping back into action again and seeing what needed to be done to, to get everybody else in a good spot. So um, Megan was um, at a crossroads um, with her studies. The girls both went back to university. Megan didn't let her Guelph University know about the loss. Um, they were right in exams. Um, Shannon did let North Bay know that uh, about the death, so they were they were good about letting her kind of you know see how she was for writing exams and everything like that. But I think Megan again um, kind of shut down and, and was again pushing back on that loss and just trying to have some normalcy in her life and just you know exams. I have to study. So um, I think, you know, she was the same as myself in terms of, okay, we put it back and, and just see what we have to do. Um, the process is still ongoing. Um, there are times where waves of grief come up. Um, I'm just now starting to deal with the grief, um, starting maybe about last year, seven years, seven years in. Um, and it's, it's something that never leaves you. It's, it's, you, you don't get over, and it's suicide is a different type of grief from you know losing a grandparent or you know losing a spouse or um, through cancer or whatever. It's there's a lot of tragedy around it. There's a lot of people who are impacted by it, um, and there's just that whole like it's it's usually a violent death, and it's that again that shock, just that shock of and and. The never-ending question: Why or what if? You know, what if I had um, stayed up with him that night, or what if? You know, I really asked him what was going on. Um, but it, he looked happy at that at that particular time that day. It was like a calmness was in him because he was like, okay, made the decision. I'm going back to school, kind of making a plan. So the the journey is kind of ongoing, and um, what I really wanted was no other family to have to deal with suicide of a youth. Um, losing a child is, is devastating. Um, it's not comparable to anything else. So I wanted, I didn't want the Shores to be accountable and yet I did want them to be accountable. I wanted them to know that there's gaps in the system. You know that they're between age 16 and 27. You know, if, if you're 17 one day and the next day you're 18, all of the supports and services that were there in the adolescent side are now gone because the next day you turned 18. It doesn't make sense. You're the same person you were yesterday. Mm. You know, nothing has changed from yesterday to today. And yet in the, the government's eyes, you know, the ones that do the policies, you know, you're no longer eligible for services. And, adult, and the adult services, you know, are even worse at that particular time. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, we were told there was a two to three year wait and I'm going, well, if you knew he was an adolescence and he was at the shores, why couldn't you have put him on the list two years ago? You know, like, 
it didn't make sense that there wasn't some kind of a, a mechanism or some kind of a path where if you're in the inpatient adolescent or outpatient adolescent, where is the way to get into the adult side without having to sit on the sidelines for two, three years again waiting for services? Um, so I just kind of took that on as, um, you know, that's something that needs to be d- dealt with and that's something that, you know, there needs to be a process and there needs to be something filling that gapping hole. Um, so I spoke with the psychiatrist in the inpatient unit and he had said that there used to be a step-down program. So that's when I decided I'm going to write a letter and suggest that they have some kind of a program, an intermediate program, that fills in that gap. So children and youth, you know, 16, 17, 18, and then 19 to 26 can have a program that's specific to their needs and specific to them. Um, I also wanted the psychiatrist on the outpatient side um, to know that her way of communicating with families was was not good. Um, so I did do a complaint to the physicians and surgeons. Um, they did agree with the the argument, and she did have to take a, an extra training course, which is, like, I didn't want um, her reprimand in the sense of, you know, but I wanted her to know her actions, a lot of her actions led to that path. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was just, just all of that kind of combining with the fact that it took so long to figure out where to go, who to talk to. Um, it wasn't easy, so I was trying to navigate those services. So I wanted to somehow have it that parents or even adults would have some kind of a path or a system where if they were in crises, they, they knew where to do or where to go and what services were available. So that's when we kind of started. I, I wanted to make have um, some awareness to suicide and to youth mental health. Um, so the same mother of the girl that um, Shane was very good friends with in the inpatient unit, she says, well, why don't, you, why don't you do a run? And I go, organize a run? How would I do that? <laughs> I said, I know nothing about that. Um, our second daughter, Shannon, did a lot of Irish dancing, competitive Irish dancing. So I ran a lot of their feshes, um, the food-wise and barbecues and fundraising and stuff like that. I said, well, yeah, we could do like a barbecue or we could do this. So, so then I said, well, I'm really having issues here. Her name's Liz. I'll say her name. Um, and Liz says, no, silly. She says, join a run. I said, oh. So then that's when the Scotiabank Waterfront uh, Marathon came up. And um, that was exactly the same year that Ontario Shores was awarded, um, I don't know, um, special status. That that was going to be their their primary um, Mm. charity for for mental health services. So it was good timing. Um, So we formed a team, um, Phoenix Rising Team Shane. And... um, we did so. Some people signed up for the 5K run. Um, Shannon and myself and a bunch of others we did the half marathon. Never had run in my life before that. Um, luckily, in the RAP program, one of the ladies there, um, her husband had done Boston marathons five or six times. She was a long distance runner, so her and her her friends kind of took me under their wing and they said, well, if you're going to do this, you're going to need a plan. So you need to meet us at this time, and then they kind of started started running. And so they got me through the summer doing the run, running and training, and then we all did the uh, Scotiabank Marathon. Um, the Shores had gotten a bus because um, it was they were the, the lead charity, so they had gotten a lot of people on board, signed up too to do the 5K. Um, I was doing a 
raising money, and I was, which I didn't know at the time, <laughs> the CEO of the hospital um, had a team, and I go, who is this guy? I said this to Honor. I said, who is this guy? She said, well, he's the C- no, CFO, sorry, not the CEO, CFO. I said, who is this guy? She goes, well, he's the chief financial advisor of the hospital. And I go, well, I'm going to beat him. <laughs> he's not going to win. I'm going to beat him. So I think we were kind of neck and neck with, uh, you know, he'd get 1,000 more, I'd get 500 more. He, I'd He'd get 500, I'd get 1,000. So we were kind of neck and neck yeah. all the way through. And I, in the end, I can't remember who did win <laughs> in terms of getting the most. Um, but we did raise over $10,000 that year. Mm-hmm. And it was all for youth mental health. And then that, um, at that time, I, because of the running, um, I had met some people up at the Whitby Running Room. And I said to John, because I was taking a, a half marathon program training course with him, and I said, John, is there any way that we can kind of put a run together um, specifically for youth mental health. Um, so that was, I guess, September or October, right after the waterfront run. He said, sure, we could do that. So December of that of the following year, 2015, um, or was it 2014? Maybe it was the same year. I don't know. It was know. 2015, the first run. Oh, okay, good. Um, so we did um, the first Shane Shore run. Um, and we've been doing it ever since. And that's, you know, for people that don't know, it takes place or starts and ends at the hospital. And, yes. Um, and it brings uh, people on site. Uh, just before we get maybe a bit more into Shane's short run and, and how people get involved, um, just want to pull back a, a little bit when you're talking about, um, you know, how, how you're dealing with this and changing the system. Like, um, people talk about the mental health system and, um, there was, you know, one quote, or it's not a paraphrasing, but uh, the mental health system is a system with a small S, not a capital S. Um, you know, if it was a capital S, then um, it would people would move um, through it, you know, and flow through it, and uh, not have to tell their story over and over again, not be cut off in services, and um, there are uh, tremendous gaps in the, the mental health system, and uh, I know Ontario Shores is. Uh, very much aware of that and that's you know one of the things that we're trying to uh to work on and with our partners to make sure that people don't you know even as simple as telling your story right we, we all go through healthcare period and it's uh you know you see a specialist or you see this person or that person and you have to start from you know the beginning every time and how frustrating that is and um there's been a lot of work on electronic health record to, to try and minimize uh, that, but there is still like being able to transfer services and there's lots of work to do is what I'm uh, trying to say. And I think about your experience, um, you know, we talk about stigma and awareness, which is part, you know, a huge part of what you're trying to do with, uh, with Shane's legacy and, and the run. There's an even greater stigma around suicide. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, we talk about, uh, people who live with uh, or diagnosed with complex mental illness and um, nobody's bringing over dinner when you're diagnosed with like depression or schizophrenia whereas um, if you have a physical health issue uh, that's serious you know people rally together and they do things for you they offer to take your kids places to help alleviate pressure or whatever the case may be there I don't think that happens with depression schizophrenia or any of these illnesses and um when when you lose a child to to suicide, um, do you have this like real sense of being alone um, in your community? Like, did you? Uh, how did the people in your life, whether it be family or 
um, even you know your community or how do they react to your loss yeah so definitely a lot of stigma around suicide and I think that's where the difference comes in with other losses as well um, is that that loneliness and that isolation you feel cut off um, family members don't know what to say um, people in general don't know what to say they want to they don't want to bring it up because they don't want to have you feel the, that pain intensity or they don't want to trigger you, um, so then they avoid it. So no one's talking, um, no one's kind of checking in to see how you are. Um, so it, it was, you know, a, a two, three years of, you know, being feeling like you're on an island, being completely alone, floating. Um, it's like you're standing back and seeing the world in front of you pass by, like the world's going on. Um, but you're stuck in that one little section of that island, um, trying to figure out how to cope, trying to figure out how am I supposed to react to this? What am I supposed to do? Um, suicide is 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 um, is the S word <laughs> that no one speaks of, um, and I think there's, I think there's a. People believe, and their belief is that well, if we talk about it, it's going to cause more suicides. It's going to it's not going to be preventative, whereas the opposite is true. If you talk about suicide and you talk about mental health issues, um, I think that gives people some hope that, yes, there's something that can happen. You know, it's not, and suicide is so final. Like, it's, it's you know, if you take that leap off that bridge, halfway down you think, oops, I shouldn't have done this. There's no going back. It's not like in the movies where you can <laughs> rewind. Um, the same thing with mental health. You know, um, it's true. Like if someone had a broken foot or diagnosed with cancer or they just came and they had a, an angioplasty or something coronary, they, friends rally around them, you know, I'll cut your lawn, you know, I'll bring you over some dinners. But with suicide, none of that happens. Um, there's no one bringing you dinners. There's no one um, saying, how can I help? Um, is there anything I can do for you? Um, how are you feeling? Um, there's none of that. And because of that, I think that's when people who go through that experience shut down as well. Um, because who can they talk to? Um, the Toronto Distress Centre has been very instrumental in helping us, um, so I'm supporting them. I am now a volunteer with the Toronto Distress Centre. Um, I went through their program for um, being, so I do now counsel one-on-one. I haven't made it up to the groups um, in terms of taking groups on, um, but I do meet with people who've recently had a suicide. Um, and usually, um, Alex, uh, who is the director of the program, he matches you. With, so I'm usually matched with a parent who has lost a child through suicide. So it, there's a whole program. It's eight weeks long, um, and there's you know specific topics and, and things to deal with: emotions, um, support systems, um, you know what, and after the sessions, you know what you can be doing, who you can be talking to. Um, so that's been that's been a huge. But other than than the Toronto Distress Center, and I'm not even sure how we got there. I don't know how that happened. I can't remember either. Either can <laughs> I. It's a blur. So like it's like it's a couple years of um, a blur. Um, but in terms of just trying to get help for suicide survivors, um, 
you know, you met, you know, all the shootings in the States and everything else. You, in the schools, you hear grief counselors, and I'm going, grief counselor? Hmm, maybe if I Google grief counseling. But nothing specific to, it's all more homicide. Um, nothing is specific to suicide. So I think that's a huge gap in society as well. Um, and in terms of the mental health services, um, I think even Ontario Shores, their hands are tied by the government. Like, um, they had started the program, TAY, Transitional Age Youth, and then they were told for funding purposes they could no longer do that. So that whole program for 16 to 27, 26, 27, they had to then break apart again because 18 and under is adolescence, 19 and above is adults. So they were going to be refused funding. So I, I think systemically it has to change at the government level. It has to, the Mental Health Act has to be changed to allow um, individuals to have services, and I think then places like Ontario Shores, Lake Ridge Health, um, and you know Frontenac, and all of those places that are offering services, can then access and programs and design programs towards the needs of what's needed there. But until that happens, everyone's hands are tied. So it's not so much Ontario Shores' problem; it's it's the Mental Health Act and the government in terms of their funding criteria. So. Currently, you know, we'll, we'll still get to the details of the run, but on top of that, um, you, you're a volunteer here, mm -hmm. um, yes. you, uh, our family council, and um, you've been part of a campaign for us in 2019, both of you um, featured in billboards, sharing the, the grief you know, around the loss of Shane. Uh, so you do a lot of work with the hospital, and you know, you have this kind of like mixed experience, you know, with your son. Uh, so why do you, what, you know, why do you support uh, the hospital help try to raise money? Like, why are you, you know, so involved uh, today in, in helping the, you know, assisting Ontario Shores? Um, for this, for pretty much for the same reason, um, I think it's all about awareness. Um, I think it's about having funds there to then have the hospital access those funds for the youth. Um, so I know a lot of the time, like in the inpatient unit, um, they needed art supplies, but they could they didn't have the money for art supplies. So the money from the run is helping and allowing them to purchase, um, I'm going to say tools, but it's because it's used for art therapy. They, they were instrumental in buying guitars. Um, they now have a music therapy program. So all of that is aiding and assisting in the youth today in the hopes that because that money's there and they can access some of those programs that they weren't able to offer because there was no funding, um, that's going to help a youth down a different path. So instead of at the crossroads, there's nothing for me, you know, life's too painful, the only answer is suicide. Maybe, oh, maybe I've got a choice here. Maybe there's other pathways I can take. Maybe there's other supports. Maybe there's someone who is on my side. You know, and learning through, you know, the art therapy, how to express their emotions. So I think that's why I'm so involved because, I, again, I don't want another family to have to deal with the death of their child. Um, I know there's a lot of prevalence in the elderly as, as well as adults for suicide, but our focus because of Shane is, is in the youth mental health and, and youth awareness, um, trying to get the stigma of suicide and the stigma, there's still stigma around mental health. Um, like we have a friend who, because of mental health, you know, disability was denied 
because they were saying no. And so I think even now, even though it's been so prevalent in the last five, six years, it's still an issue. You know, it's not, um, it's like, well, you can see your arms in a cast, but you can't see that your, you know, your head's ready to blow up because, you know, you're dealing with either all these voices through psychosis or, you know, you're bipolar and your moods are just going up and down to mania to deep mm. down to depression. Um, people just think it's behavioral or, oh, a they're choice, just moody. Like you mentioned earlier. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it's, it's one of the few illnesses where, um, the more ill you are, the you know the more people uh, back away, back away. Uh, <laughs> as opposed to um, you know a physical health issue. Um, specific to the event, so um, uh, you mentioned you know kind of how Shane's uh, short run came about. I know you you do the medals, right? I do the medals for for the run and with your woodworking expertise, right? Yes. And we just last last you know last couple, year. two years ago. I started doing the t-shirts as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. So when is the event, um, you know, what can people expect and how can they uh, register? So it's, um, the, this year's Shane Shore Run is on September the 25th. It's the last Sunday in September. Um, September has been deemed Mental Health Awareness Month, so um, it's corresponding to that. Um, it takes place here um, um, on site. Um, it's a walk, 5K, 10K um, walk or run. Um, you can join teams. You can make a team. Um, all of the profits and all of the money goes to youth mental health, um, inpatient, outpatient, um, anything in the youth. And, you know, that's described from anything from <laughs> 12 up to, I'm going to say 30, although the hospital says 26 or 27. But uh, so it's available. The funds are then available to each of the psychiatrists, each of the units. Um, so they have access. So if they if they're running, um, say, a DBT group and they want to order pizza for the kids, they can order pizza. Um, if they want to provide them all with workbooks because the families can't afford the workbooks, they have the money to get the workbooks. And all of that is then helping um, with the youth. But at the same time, the run hopefully is um, awareness for the community of youth mental health and trying to get down those barriers of the stigma. So. You know, people think way back, you know, that One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is an example. Um, movies, how they depict, you know, crazy people, you know, violent people. Um, and they're not. They could be your neighbor. They could be, you know. They are your neighbor. They are your neighbor. <laughs> yeah. right? just you one, know? one in five people. Yeah, they, exactly. You know, they, yeah. yeah. So, so I think it's just trying to get rid of that stigma, both the suicide and, you know, talking about suicide doesn't mean that it's going to be more prevalent. It's going to actually help someone. Um, and then the youth services, you know, letting them know, like, they may, you know, their family may have abandoned them and, th and they have no one else except maybe the person that they're seeing here at the shores um, who is then taking an interest in them, listening to them. And then that makes them feel, yes, I'm a person that somebody is respecting and looking out for. You know, because a lot of the times, um, and it happened with our next door neighbor, like if, if something happens, you know, they kick the kids out of the house, which I think is the worst mm. thing they can do. But again, they don't know enough about mental health and addictions is mm. a big one as well. And um, I, when I, before I started on Terra Shore, so more than uh, 10 years ago, my first experience was participating in a run that started here and ended here. Um, not Shane's short run, but it was another one. And, um, you know, 
for me back then, it was an eye-opening experience, you know, coming on the grounds, uh, seeing the property, uh, coming into the main lobby and the cafeteria and seeing the, the natural light. And I think back to a comment you made about not knowing this place even existed, even though, you know, you live in the community. How important is it for, and then, and then you mentioned like the, just the, the media stigma associated with mental illness. How important is it for people to see this place and understand maybe they'll, maybe they won't access it, but in 10 years, maybe they might have to. Um, how important do you think that is just to understanding the resources in your community? I think it's extremely important um, because when you're dealing with a crisis, or you're in that situation where you know there's something going on but you don't know what and you don't know who to turn to. And if you go to your family doctor and they don't support or they don't know anything, um, which is- Well, the family doctor first said you don't want to- You don't want to go down that road. You don't want to label them. Don't want to label them. So, you know, in, in our case, family doctor, and that's the first thing they'll say. They'll say, go to the doctor, or go to Emerge. Um, Emerge is, <laughs> there's a lot that can be said about emergency departments for someone going through a mental health crisis. They're, that's the wrong place for mm. them. Um, they're, they're dealt with very harshly. They're dealt with unfairly. They're dealt with a lot of stigma. Um, but we won't go down that road. <laughs> that's another <laughs> campaign. Um, but I think it's really important and crucial for the community to see the grounds, to see that, you know, it's not everyone in cages and locked up and, you know, in straight jackets. Um, you know, people, the, the, the um, different units, they allow, you know, people to wander through the, the, the road, you know. I think that integration into the community and society is very important um, just to break down those barriers and the walls. Um, and I forgot to mention that Shane Shore Run, you can register through the Whitby or the running room. So you'd go onto the running room website, search Shane Shore Run, and then it pops up, and then you can register through there. Um, well, so I was going to say, aside say. from you know, the fundraising piece and um, you know, the change that you're able to make, does the event um, help you personally in terms of your ability to to deal with the loss of Shane? Does it help keep his you know, spirit alive, if you will? Like, how does, it, uh, how does his memory, um, you know, um, work with the event in your minds? Uh, people, when we, like, sometimes they, they, they're scared to talk about Shane, and I tell them, no, I want to hear his name. I, want, I don't want him to be forgotten. So I actually got a tattoo done that Debbie didn't know I was getting done. And I use it to, people ask me about the tattoo and they see it, then I can talk about Shane and talk about mental health to them. And it helped me open up a conversation with, with strangers and that. And, mm. and then with the run, um, it's meant to be a family fun field. So it's not like a competitive run, like the waterfront marathon, you know, it's competitive. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the other runs through the running room and the running groups, other, other um Canada running series it's you sign up and you're and you're basically you know running for a time or running to complete so this one here is a fun field activity for families so it's to get families involved families um, to recognize that maybe you know something's going on in your own family or if not now maybe down the road you might you know, a colleague at work might say, hey, my son's doing this or my daughter's acting like this. What do you think? And then they would think, oh, well, I was at this run and maybe it could be mental health. Have you thought of that? So it's hoping that it that small little pebble 
develops mm-hmm. ripples so that then someone, as you said, they may not need it services now, but down the road they might need and then they can think, okay, we were at this center. Yeah, you know? and it doesn't seem so scary. Yeah. And like your comment just really resonated with me, Mel. It's like, um, I think we, when it comes to, as a society, when it comes to death, I mean, you know, we're afraid to mention the person's name, regardless of how, what the cause of death is, because we feel like it's going to hurt the person, um, you know, who's experiencing that loss. But as, you know, we most of us have experienced loss. And um, I know personally, it's, it's exactly, I feel exactly the same way. Like uh, having lost my dad, I want people to mention his name. I want people, I want to talk, you want that opportunity to talk about him, you know, and, and it's just because, you know, you know, I lost my dad in a different way than you lost your son doesn't mean you don't want to yeah. talk about it. I think that's important for people to know because it's very much um, the opposite, I would say. I, mean, I would imagine you feel people choose their words carefully around you, uh, or at least, you know, early in those days when mm-hmm. you're experiencing that loss. Yeah, they do. Either that or they avoid you completely. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is the worst thing they can do. It's yeah. uh, funny with the with Shane Shore run as well. Um, we, we have all people who have never run before coming out, and at the, at the start line, they'll say to me, what if I can't do the 5K? And I said, so it doesn't matter. You, you go to 100 yards and come back again. The important thing is that you're here doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we're happy you're here uh, doing this. Uh, and I um, can't imagine, even after you know, eight years, it's easy to talk about uh, you know, the particulars of losing your son, but uh, it really will help people, uh, especially people who uh, maybe are going through a difficult time with their own children or, you know, have experienced, you know, a similar loss that you have. So um, thank you for being here today. Thank you for all the things you do for our- Can our I show my shorts. tattoo? Yeah, maybe Jordan, <laughs> our camera guy can- This is my son, Shane. Yeah. I had it done- Very soon. Yeah, about a month after we lost him. Oh, wow. And I use that when people see it, they ask me what the tattoo is about, and it allows me to open up a conversation with the people. Yeah. And how do you find those conversations go? Some go very smoothly. Other ones all depend on the day, and then the tears flow, and the people try to apologize. And I say, no, no, it's fine. It's... You have it there for a reason, right? It's, it's yeah. there for the reason to talk. Oh. Yeah. Well, thank you for both talking today, and uh, all the best. Thank you. Thank you.